0: Today's guest has won a Paralympic medal, captained her country at a World Cup and then went on to win the Golden Boot at that same World Cup. Para Matilda star, Georgia Bykov, thanks so much for joining me today. No worries. Thanks, Abby.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So you grew up in a, um, and went to school in New South Wales City of Newcastle and Newcastle seems to have produced a lot of amazing athletes. What do you think it about, is it about that community
1: that has so many great athletes? Oh, I think maybe Sport is just really huge in Newey. We've got and lots of sports yes. as well. Um, I think just growing up in schools, like I was always on the um, on the soc- on the on the oval playing soccer with the boys, and um, there was always handball kind of games going on. So I think there's just a lot of opportunity out there and uh, like various sports that um, there's lots of different pathways, which is awesome.
0: Um, And I didn't want to focus on this too much, but you have cerebral palsy and I guess that's probably a pretty important part of your story. Were you diagnosed when you were quite
1: young or were you a bit older? Yeah, no, I was from birth. So I didn't get um, enough oxygen to my brain for a period of time when I was in the womb. Um, And so for the first few hours when I was born, I kept having seizures. Um, And so the doctors really thought there was obviously something really wrong. Um, But then I I did all the tests and it seemed to be like I was okay Um, and in the first few or maybe 10 to 12 years of my life I did a lot of physical therapy and sport was very much part of that as therapy and like mum was a PE teacher and dad loved playing sport as well so I didn't have much much choice they just sort of literally threw me in the deep end in terms of playing sport yeah. And it might not affect you as much now as it did when you were a
0: bit younger, but for those who don't know, can you um explain like what cerebral palsy means and how does it affect
1: you in everyday life now? Yeah, so it's really much of a movement impairment um, that is like, it's pretty much an acquired brain injury. Um, and so I think it's cerebral palsy is, it's a big scale. So you could get someone like me, I'm affected on my right side, so hemiplegia. And so it means that it's on my left side of the brain that is partially damaged. Um, And so I'm ambulant, which means I don't need any like technology, assistive technology to help me walk or. um, But then you have someone who might be in a wheelchair who needs 24 hour care, who struggles to speak um, and do all those everyday things. So, um, yeah, it's a very large spectrum, I think. Um, but it really depends on how your brain is damaged, I suppose. Yeah. Hope and that I, makes any sense.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um. And I guess growing up and when you were going to school, did you like kind of feel different in any way, or did everyone kind of accept
1: you? Yeah, I think it was when I started at school in kindergarten. I figured out that I was a bit different because so I had to have a um a splint on my leg and a splint on my arm. Um. And so I think that's when. I started to realize, oh, I am a bit different. But um, I think, um, mum and dad, they didn't give me any special treatment, which I hated back then. But I'm also like very thankful now. Um, and like I had, I have a little brother. Well, he's not so little anymore, but my younger brother, he, we, he loved playing sport as well. So, um, and he wouldn't really give me any special treatment either, you know, he was, we're both very competitive. So, um, that was very helpful in terms of, um, yeah, learning the, um, the, the important lessons of life, I suppose, that, um, winning and losing and how, like, if you were to lose in sport, like how you go about that and navigate that, um, you know, that you don't always win all the time and, um, yeah. Um, and you mentioned before that sport was kind of
0: um a way to help you when you were diagnosed, I guess with cerebral palsy. But were you you were always a quite
1: athletic kid, so you would have like loved sport, anyways. I think so. I think so. I um uh, I think it was very much mum and dad who, um, yeah. I think they were both very sporty, um, and so I think they would like, yeah, we would have played sport anyway, whether I had CP. I think. Swimming was very much a big thing for my um, physical therapy for CP. And so I was swimming three times a week um, throughout, like, yeah, being a toddler and and throughout school. So Um, And then sport just, I think, growing up in Newcastle and and playing sport at school. So um, that just came naturally, I think
0: you did um, athletics and you also played football and cricket as a kid I think. Was there anything else yeah. or just
1: trying to do everything? Um Yeah well I played a fair bit of tennis as well Um and I think it was well I go back to to mum like she was a PE teacher so I remember like we've got home videos of us when I was really little and like I'm on my tummy it was before I could even walk and mum and dad are just rolling balls to us and we're needing to roll them back, that kind of thing. Um, and so I think developing those fundamental movement skills of kicking and throwing and catching, I think that um, you use all those those skills in, across so many sports. Um, even like going camping, we were quite adventurous, we would go camping a lot and so mum would set us a challenge to, throw a rock and try and hit a tree across the river that kind of thing um so, so yeah like little things like that um it was, it was always something to do See, so matter where we were
0: <laughs> so you kind of just did everything but did you have a favorite sport out of everything
1: that you played I think football soccer yeah I um I, I went into athletics because there was no pathway football for us as female um cp athletes and so that's when i went into athletics and and what got into javelin i suppose um sort of the next best thing um to see how far i could get so i'm really excited that um football in the paramatildas is getting bigger and bigger now these days yeah it's very exciting
0: um, I don't know everyone's story is the same, but I have interviewed a couple of, or oh, quite a few, para athletes who have told me that when they started playing sport, that was where they
1: kind of felt like they belonged. Was it kind of the same yeah. for you? Oh, definitely. I was quite a um, anxious kid when I was a teenager, um, and when I, was, I think I was about fourteen, fourteen or fifteen, I was invited to my very first athletics camp up in Queensland. And I nearly didn't go because I would get homesick really, really badly. And um, I don't know how mum got me on that plane, but I ended up getting on that plane and it was amazing. It was the first time that I really met people who, there was this one girl who was, we were five days apart. She had CP, she was affected on her right side. And so we were exchanging stories. Oh my God, do you find this hard? Oh, yeah tying your hair up in a ponytail was really annoying cuz you don't have the fine motor skills to do that or tying your shoelaces up when you were little like little things like that and so it was really it was the first time where I felt like yes this is this is my place this is where I belong
0: was that or well, I don't know if you might have thought of it before but was that where you kind of thought you might have like been able to represent Australia in a sport when you were older
1: yeah i think so i think um so that was when I was about 14, 15 and then the London Paralympic Games was when I was 19. So there was quite a number of years where I had to work really hard but it definitely was um, a, a, a dream or a goal that was you you could tell that it was going to become reality. I think it became a little bit more real, yeah, achievable, more achievable I suppose,
0: yeah. And I did want to ask like who were your, I guess, sporting idols and who were your sporting role models when you were growing up and was it easy to kind of find people who you were inspired by on TV?
1: Yeah, I think um, that's one thing that I think um, I am most definitely and most of the Paragantula girls, we're really proud that we get to um, sort of be a new role model for especially in football because growing up, like, I would be wearing my Manchester United jersey you know, when I was 10, but um, the only para-athletes that we really could look up to were like Louis Savage and, and Kurt Burnley um, yeah. who were, yeah, brilliant wheelchair athletes but we didn't really like, and I mean social media has changed a lot and, you know, thanks to you, you're, you're exposing us a lot more which is fantastic in spreading our message. But Kathy Freeman, like I remember watching her, like I would have been seven in the Sydney Olympics and um, seeing her um, partner with the Matildas at the last World Cup, I think that was really special. Um, but, yeah, I think in terms of para-athletes, I mean, Kurt Furman was really – and then there was another guy called Keith Francis. He, he was a, another Hunter Newcastle local boy. He was an arm amputee. And so um, I ended up being in the newspaper with him when I was about 10, which was really special um it was sort of like a come and try disability sports day um and so I sort of started following him but but, I mean back then like social media was not a thing all you really saw was stuff in the news and para sports was not really something that you would see on the news um let alone female in sports so um yeah I think those were my sporting heroes I suppose but um yeah really exciting that we've got so many different sports now especially with women in sport um, and para sports as well
0: yeah but it is so great that you and the other paratelies are now kind of being this new generation of role models so thanks so much
1: (laughs) no not at all thank you
0: (laughs) and I guess then just fast forwarding a bit correct me if I'm wrong but when you were 15 you were chosen in a Newcastle emerging rep cricket side if you had to compare yourself to one female player in the Australian women's cricket team, what kind of player would you be? Oh,
1: gosh. <laughs> Goodness me. Well, probably not like Elise Perry <laughs> because I was a shocking batter. Um, I loved bowling, so I played with the boys a lot and I ended up being um, an opening bowler for just club, club cricket. Um, and that was really cool, being girl, and the other teams would be like, oh, who's this girl opening, being an opening bowler? And, you know, I'd get a couple of wickets within the first couple of voters and, you know, they'd walk off with the heads <laughs> heads down. Um, I, yeah, probably not Elise Perry, and I didn't really wiki-keep either. So, um, yeah, probably one of the, the, the quick bowlers but down the batting order, <laughs> um, yes.
0: And that was in 2008 and then two years later you're winning a gold medal in javelin at the Track and Field National Championships. What was the journey from being an opening bowler to an athletic gold medalist?
1: Well, I think um, I had, thanks to mum and dad, I had a very wicked throwing arm. So when I was fielding, they would put me out on the boundary. Cause I, I, I sort of knew how to throw fire. And I think that was just, it was an easy transition of, you know, javelin is a very similar, um, movement skill, um, to throwing a cricket ball. I mean, throwing a spear is very different to throwing a ball. <laughs> I've hit myself in the head a couple of times with the, the tip of the javelin, but, um, I think I, when I went to the, that first um, camp up in Queensland when I was about 15 um, because I was playing soccer at the time as well um, and I was on the wing, I was playing left wing and so I knew how to run fast but I ended up getting an injury of shin splints and so that sort of determined that I'd um, do javelin instead of being a sprinter. Um, yeah, but I remember there was a bit of a tug of war between the throws coach and the sprint coach because they both wanted me to do that <laughs> their discipline. Um but I think the shin splints really determined doing javelin, which I think ended up being a pretty good choice. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, and I guess then in um you went to the London Paralympics in two thousand and twelve and you were nineteen, I think. Do you remember yeah. how you felt making the team and just walking into the stadium for the opening
1: ceremony? I remember um it was just after I'd finished G twelve that I was offered a scholarship to train as a full-time athlete down at the Institute um, at the AIS. And so I was living down there with a few other para-athletes who were also trying to be selected for the London team. And I remember we all got letters in the mail saying that we'd been selected. And I remember this, I've got this, yes, very vivid memory of being in our little residence on site and we both, (laughs) Yeah, we all got our letters. And I think it was the girl who actually I first met at the athletics camp. We ended up living together, um, which was really cool. And I remember we were screaming and running around the house. We were so excited. So, so excited. Um, But it was just the whole experience was just so surreal. I mean, I was 19, so I was one of the babies on the the athletics squad. But um, yeah, the opening ceremony, and then even just competing. Um, we had our, I was also in the, the four by 100 relay. Oh, yeah. The CP women. Um, and that was our first, that was my first event on the Tuesday night. And then the javelin was the Saturday morning. And we, we came fourth by 0.24 of a second. And there was a bit of a discrepancy because we, like, one team fell over. And then oh we got DQ. It was a it was a whole thing. You'll have to watch the replay because we got we got disqualified because one of our girls stepped out of their lane right oh, they tried. And then we got reinstated because it didn't actually affect the race. But then we still got fourth by point yeah point two of, four of a second. Wow. And so we missed out why so yeah it was like so close and so I was so determined I was like I need to get it I really want to get a medal now um and so come Saturday um the first throw I was a bit I was quite anxious because I wasn't throwing the, the the distances that I was wanting right before a big competition um but the first throw through a PB, landed me in third spot and I just sat there for the whole competition. And ended up getting a bronze medal, um, which was amazing. So surreal. It yeah, great.
0: it's it's great that you won a bronze medal. That must have been so special, especially after yeah. the first
1: race. Yeah. Yes. No, it was. I um I remember waking up the next morning, and um I'd put my medal in the um, bedside table drawer, and I woke up. I was just like, I've got to make sure that it's there because. Of it. I'm worried that it was just a dream but it was it was real (laughs) it was real where do you keep the medal now is it still in a bedside table drawer yeah yes it's um yeah mum and dad's in the back bedroom um (laughs) where I think I'm too afraid to put it out on display um mum and dad have a whole bunch of photos in their living room of me competing but um Yeah, it's just in some cupboard in the back (laughs) room. we get it out sometimes and show people. But um, yeah, no, 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 I'm very, very proud of um, that achievement,
0: yeah. And I do think there were actually some other legends of Australian Paralympics in that, um, that went over to those games, like Ellie Cole, Kurt Fernley, and I think Dylan O'Cole was maybe playing basketball. And then swimmer Jackie Freeney won eight gold medals. What was it like to be part of that team with all those other incredible athletes?
1: yeah, well, I like Ellie Cole and I actually um we lived together in the same pod at AIS AIS and um so we got to know each other really really well over those eight months um leading up to the games um but it was really a roller coaster of emotion because I think um these athletes like they like people would achieve like um, like Jackie Franey and all her medals and like Ellie had a very successful competition as well but then you would see all these other athletes who um, would just fall short for some odd reason or because their competitors were just got just pipped them in the end and um and so I think me competing on the very last day was actually really challenging because I was going already through this this roller coaster of emotion and I was like, I haven't even done my event yet how am I gonna <laughs> <laughs> cope with all of this um but I think um. It was really amazing to, because um, I was so young, have other athletes around me who could mentor me and talk through the things that I was a bit anxious about, and you know, competing in front of a ninety thousand people, it was a really scary thing to think about. Um, and so it was, it was fantastic having people around, athletes who like have been to the games before, um, yeah, to to mentor me through that.
0: Um, and I guess apart from competing at the London Paralympics when you were
1: finishing school what other goals and dreams did you have? Yeah I really wanted to become a teacher which I am now Um, and so when I got back home from the games I decided to yeah go to uni and I think I I started playing soccer again and I fell back in love with soccer Um, so I gave athletics up um, and just started playing soccer and just studied to become a teacher. So, yeah, I'm really glad that um, I went to uni and graduated and now I'm a primary teacher. And the school that I'm at in Sydney, they're a massive football school Um, and so they're really excited about the Paratilles and um, they're really excited to see us go off to the Asia Cup and, and come home with a trophy, which is what we're hoping. But
0: yeah. Yeah, I was going to say your students must think it's pretty really cool that you're a paratilly.
1: Yes. I actually had um, a girl in year three dress up as me for book week, oh. which was so, so surreal. But I mean, the um, there's a book called um, What Makes a Matilda, and it came out right before the World Cup. And so there's a bit of a spread on us as well with some photos. And so when this girl turned up, I was just, yeah I nearly fainted because I was like what the heck this is so surreal it's so cool. crazy yeah
0: yeah um I know you kind of mentioned it before but could you talk a bit more about how you made your way to the Paramatildas and like what
1: like emotions yeah. you
0: felt when you found out
1: yeah I think um the likes of so Nicole Dulu, she's um been one of the originals from the very beginning I think she was just so determined to try and make a team and so she was constantly emailing all these people um and so back in and i think with um the cerebral palsy alliance there's a thing called Kanga cup i think um which i wasn't really part of i think because i was more involved with athletics back then but that would hold like football gala days for all ability. Like different disabilities, and so I think CP football was sort of around for us females for a while. And of course, the Pararoos—they've been the team for 25 years now. Um, but I think the likes of Nicole and a few others—they were just so determined to not give up and try and like just emailing whoever they could to try and get a team. And then they decided to create a come and try day kind of thing. And then there was a um. Uh, like our first Oceana camp, and so we actually invited some of the girls from Japan over. It was the first time we met them, and it was such a cool camp. We, I reckon, we had maybe seventeen girls from Australia from all around the country, and then yeah, four of the girls from Japan. Um, that was in twenty nineteen, and so things were really looking up. Things were looking like we could create an actual official Caramontillus um, team. But then, of course, COVID hit, so everything had to be put on pause. Um, and so through throughout COVID, um, management were working really hard to still try and create some kind of culture um, and team morale so then we would be ready for when COVID would finished we could, could launch a team. And last year we had the the launch and on that day there was a big surprise announcement that we were going to a World Cup in seven weeks' time as well. So it was just, I think whirlwind would be an appropriate word to describe because it just happened all so quickly. Um, we had to band together, you know, a team within two months Um and we ended up going to Spain and, yeah, getting a, a silver medal. When we're so pumped to see what the next five, years 10 years we're going to look like and even like next year we know that things there's going to be lots of things happening for 2024 which we're really pumped about and we've grown so much we only had maybe 10 or 12 members when we went to the world cup in May last year and now we've got maybe just under 40 in the extended yeah. squad um so it, it's great because it's becoming more competitive for us to to make um, teams you know to go over to Japan and, and play international matches as well which is which means that we're needing to improve as a as a national squad as well and you spoke a bit about before when you guys first got together and there
0: wasn't many of you and now there's yeah just under 40 in the extended squad yeah yeah
1: when yeah, you, yeah
0: when you and all of the girls got together in that first training camp I guess what else did you talk about in terms of what you wanted to achieve and the legacy that you guys all wanted to create and leave well I
1: think we um First and foremost, I think it's. I mean, football. We all we all love playing football, but I think it really becomes secondary because we think about when we were younger and there was no pathway, um, for us as female para athletes for football, especially um, for football. And so, I think um, I reckon for six-year-old Georgia Bykov to see someone like talia blanchard with you know she wears her splint on her arm when she plays just and wearing that green and gold jersey i think would have given yes six-year-old george a lot of hope um that there is a pathway and that there is um, avenues that you can um go down and challenge yourself and try and figure out like try and um i suppose see how far you can get with 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 sport and, and things that you, you absolutely love. So I think that's what we were talking about um, and we want to leave that legacy of, um, and not just for young girls but, you know, just women who have CP. There's one one woman who she's in her 40s and she's never really been part of a community with um, other people with cerebral palsy before until now and she's in her 40s and so um we want to create a community we want to, and it's all about family for us we want to create a family where people well cuz i mean the boys and the parrots they're very much part of our family as well um yes we want to create a legacy of family and um yeah make make our country proud yeah. Um, and
0: I guess a lot of the uh, other girls in that squad come from lots of different sporting backgrounds to be given the chance to play football, you know, at a World Cup on a proper world stage. What did that mean to this group of women who have probably spent a lot of their lives being told that they couldn't really achieve their dream?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think most of us have come from individual sports. Yeah. And so going into a team dynamic, it's just so different. Like we've become really, really close. Like we're really great mates and um even off the field we we spent a lot of time together um one of the girls had her 21st party the other the other week um and so just celebrating things that happen in life um you know and one of them got engaged like I think last year um and so like i said before just becoming a family has um, been really special um i think yeah the whole and it's just a different vibe, I think, being a team instead of being an individual sport. Um, Yeah, so I think um that's been really special.
0: Um, and you personally, you finished the World Cup with the Golden Boot leading scorer for the tournament and the Paramatildas on the silver medal, which was incredible. The first senior Australian football team to make a World Cup final. And this was only just about, you know, three months after the announcement.
1: Did you and the team feel like you
0: guys at all, you know, achieve something pretty special? Oh
1: yes, I think um, I think we were quite devastated that we lost against the U.S. It was a tight match. We went into extra time. It, the final score was four two in the end, and so I think we we definitely were were devastated that we didn't get away with the win. But after that, we were just we were just so happy, unbelievably happy, and um. I mean, it was really just the beginning, and so when we look back on the eight weeks that we had spent together, imagine what we could do in the next twelve months, the next five years, the next ten years, and um, even yeah, the last eighteen months since then, we've really um, we've really grown, and the way that we were playing in Japan, like I'm really excited to see what we have um, in store for Australia in the next few months, or in the next year or two. So yeah, watch keep your keep your eyes peeled <laughs> um
0: and I actually interviewed you and in a couple of the other paratillies late last year at an awards night um and you mentioned how the team was important because
1: I think we've got a lot to give um back to our communities back to um other people with disabilities
0: why do you think this team is not important just for playing football but also in general for just representing people with cerebral palsy brain injury and also stroke yeah well
1: I think um we so there's, yes, we do play football, but I think even just like the fact that I'm a teacher and there's a few, like we've got a few other teachers on, um, on the team and um, there's other girls who, you know, are working full time and holding down jobs and doing amazing stuff in the space of disability advocacy and um I think that's really important. It's not... Um, just about sport, we want to, um, I suppose, broaden the horizons of this is what, look at all the opportunities that people with disabilities have um, in life. It's not just sport but even in the workplace um, and other avenues as well. And so I think in terms of the disability community, yeah, we want to, um, I suppose, trailblaze and um, put our, flag in the in in the in the ground and um I suppose um show Australia and the world that you know there's there's lots of things that um you can throw yourself into and and give it a hot red hot go and um yeah see see what happens
0: and yeah this team has only existed for just over a year and you've already made a World Cup final and Australia is hosting the Asian Cup later this year what do you think is possible with the Paramatildas?
1: I definitely think we um, will bring the World Cup home next year. So we've got our next, every two years we've got a World Cup. Um, we are so keen to um, show the US what we've got. Um, yeah, we're really keen to come back with a vengeance and, um, um, yeah, give them a good run for their money. Um, but I, we've got our Asia Cup coming up in November and so that will be a really great time. For our new girls to, um, yeah, play in an environment, a international environment, and um, even on home soil, which we're really excited about, it's gonna it's gonna go off, it's gonna be amazing.
0: And just finally, it's a great time for women in sport. You know, we've got you've got more opportunities and exposure, but we've also got lots of great women with disabilities playing sport like wheelchair rugby, and now we've got a women's football team for incredible athletes like yourself. Does it feel like that this is just really an exciting time for female para-athletes in sport?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, we've got the um, Olympics and Paralympics coming up in Paris next year Um, and I think it's just been, it's skyrocketed in terms of women in sport and it's just really exciting to see what else we can do and what other sports might become, um, you know, in the spotlight, um, and I'm really excited to see what Australia can do in the next 12 months, especially off the back of what Matildas have done in the World Cup for FIFA, and um, we're really proud of those girls, and, um, yeah, it's just been awesome.
0: Well, good luck for the future. I'm so excited to see where the Paratilles can go, but thanks so much for joining me. It was a nice no you are so nice to No worries. Thanks so much, Amy. Thanks. Go the Paratilis. woo Thanks for listening. To support way, visit the link in the description section